Welcome to Be Bold America. I am your host, Jill Cody, and I'm joined today by Mike Clancy, a friend of the show who is back again to co-host with me today. Mike Clancy is the current chair of the Monterey County Chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby and serves on the question review team for the annual Leon Panetta Lecture Series. He has authored over 100 publications and is the recipient of the Navy's highest civilian award, the Distinguished Civilian Service Award. Hi, Mike. Thank you for joining me today to co-host. Well, thanks, Jill. It's always uh, fun to do this. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I'm particularly excited about today's topic and uh, the wonderful guests we have. I am, too. Today, our program is Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. Our two eminent interview guests that we'll be hearing from have stated that Holocaust education must sound the alarm clearly, insistently, repeatedly. The Holocaust is a warning. Why? As extreme right-wing political movements, anti-liberal fury, disrespect for truth, and the rule of law, as rampant othering and whataboutism gain traction in the U.S. and throughout the world, our guests say we must heed that warning, the Holocaust's warning. We have big things to do. Our guests today are two of the most respected Holocaust scholars in the world. I will introduce first Dr. Leonard Grob, who is Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey, where he taught full-time for 39 years and part-time for another 15. Dr. Grob was the Chairperson of Philosophy Studies and Director of the University's Humanities Core Curriculum. Dr. Grob centers his scholarship on lessons of the Holocaust for those alive today. Dr. Grubb, welcome to Be Bold America. Thank you so much, Jill. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it is our pleasure. Am I pronouncing your name right? You are exactly right. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Um, doc- and next, I'll introduce Dr. John Roth, who is the Edward J. Sexton Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Claremont McKenna College in Claremont, California. Dr. Roth was named the 1988 U.S. National Professor of the Year by the Council for Advancement and Support of Education and the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. Dr. Roth's expertise is in the Holocaust and Genocide Studies, as well as in philosophy, ethics, American studies, and religious studies. Dr. Roth, welcome to Be Bold America. Thank you so much, Jill, and and hello to you too, Mike. It's great to be with you. It's an honor. Very good. Um, I'm not sure which one of you would like to take my first question, uh, which is, how did that spark happen in both your minds that connected the Holocaust in Ukraine to what our democracy is confronting today. One of you is Jewish and one of you is Christian. So how was understanding the Holocaust as a warning, where did that come from? Who would like to take that? Well, maybe I can start. Um, Lenny and I have uh, known each other for 30-some years, and we've been colleagues and have written together and um, taught together. And and even though we live on opposite sides of the United States, uh, we're in touch with each other a lot. And we were um, 
wanting to do a book together um, again, uh, following up on things we've done before. And uh, one day when I was on Zoom with Lenny, he he suggested this was in the winter of nineteen or of twenty twenty two. He said, "You know, John, democracy is in trouble in the United States. Why don't we focus our attention on that and use our expertise as?" people who have studied about the Holocaust for a long time as a kind of lens or a compass to uh, help us uh, focus that. So um, we we did that, and uh, the book's um, warnings about uh, what's going on with American democracy in the 2020s uh, here in the United States um, echo, we think, things that were taking place in the 1930s in particular in Europe and in uh, Nazi Germany in particular. I'll let Lenny kind of pick up on some of that after I've uh, let off here. Sure. Sure. Um, I think that John has talked about the origins of uh, our book well. I would just add that I think um, it wasn't just an idea that happened to come to me. I felt a bit that it was a, uh, a summons, a call to sound the warning um, to ourselves to and others about what is happening with democracy today. Um, it was, I, I felt as a Holocaust scholar in particular, it was imperative for us to write using, um, as John had said, our expertise in Holocaust studies to look for what were the warning signs in the 1930s in Germany and what are we seeing today um, that echoes um, what was happening to democracy um, in 1930s in Germany. And you also have Ukraine in the book, too. How does that connect? John, do you want to take it first? Sure, I'll take a stab. We started writing seriously in January of 2022, and uh, no sooner had we begun than uh, in late February of 2022, Vladimir Putin uh, brazenly invaded Ukraine. And so we were concerned about American democracy and thinking about it in terms of our expertise and uh, long experience studying the Holocaust. And then when the invasion of Ukraine took place and we saw... Um, you know, a democracy, Ukrainian democracy under threat, we said, no, we, we have to deal with this as well. So um, we, we uh, focused our attention on much more than we started out uh, thinking we would do, and our plate became very full. But uh, we tried our best to, uh, to take um, multiple threats to democracy in the uh, 2020s, that are taking place, not only here in the United States, but in other parts of, of the world uh, as well. It was a lot to do, and yet at the, the more we wrote and the more we think about what has happened you know, since we finished the book, the more timely we think our, um, our, our discussion has been. Our publisher asked us at one point to uh, say in just seven words what our book is about, and that was a hard assignment uh, to say anything in just seven words. Um, but we came up with the idea that warnings are... Our book defends liberal democracy against 2020's threats. Mm. So 
the threats that we see, I'll just list a few of them here. Authoritarianism, which is on the rise. Another big threat that Lenny and I see, we're philosophers after all, so we're interested in inquiry and questions and truth. But lies and lying, we, we think, are, are one of the, the great uh, threats to democracy that, uh, that there is. Nearly everything that we talked about in the book has uh, what Lenny calls a kind of common denominator about it. And the common denominator is a disrespect for truth and evidence and the assertion of, of lies, big and small. Uh, other threats include divisions of one kind or another and assertions of supremacy, minority rule, the idea that might, might makes right and that uh, my perceived rights and privileges trump yours. Uh, and, and these are all versions of threats that we see in our own country right now that are not friendly to democracy. And so that's what we've written about. And we've tried in a lot of uh, our chapters to suggest what we think remedies are for some of these ailments. Uh, Mike. Jump in here with a question. You know, when, when you look around the world, um, it's clear that democracy is in decline and autocracy is on the rise. What are the driving forces behind this trend, and what must the U.S. and its allies do to reverse it? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, hi, Mike. It's, it's good to meet you. Um, <laughs> to meet you. So, yes, um, the problems with democracy uh, are not uh, the U.S.'s alone. Uh, as you say, mm-hmm. this is happening in many places uh, across the globe. I think that uh, part of the reason for this is um, certainly communications via the Internet. I think that once um, once there is lying um, and once governments are starting to deceive uh, the people that they supposedly represent, um, this is all accelerated by... Um, by the Internet, and so this is certainly one factor, but I think that there are economic disparities that have been ratcheted up in many places, not simply uh, the disparity between rich and poor in the United States, but in other countries as well. Um, I think that um, you ask, Mike, about uh, what can be done. Now, this is, of course, you know, this is a topic for the for our entire book, and we will begin, uh, you know, to talk about this. One thing that I would just say first is that um, Trump in our country um, brought out the worst of us. I agree. It tapped into it. Tapped into. Um, what that part of our of the human condition um, which is uh, inclined to the kinds of evils that we're seeing and I think one way we can begin to resist is to be kind be compassionate we have to let the best of ourselves emerge to counter what Trump has done in in camping that down and and letting the worst of us emerge. So I, I I think that we need to recall that we live in an interpersonal world that we are interdependent, um, and this would be a beginning part of all the necessary 
or concrete steps that I'm sure we will talk about over the course uh, of this uh, program. Mike, if I could just uh, chime in a little bit on what sure. Lenny has said, uh, just to uh, elaborate a bit. Um, I think one thing that's happening in the United States is uh, demographic change that's taking place that leads to fear on the part of people who have had privileges and have had uh, you know, uh, more than a fair share of, of power in the country, and they sense that thing that change is taking place. Yes, that uh, we are going to become a country before very long where, um, you know, white people are not a majority. We're going to be become yes. a country where where minorities are increasingly represented and present, and this creates, I think. Um, an atmosphere that is ripe for uh, a, an authoritarian uh, movement to move in and to tr- capitalize on and even amplify and drive uh, further the, the sense of grievance that people are being left out, that we have to stop this, we have to you know, save our country by which... Uh, um, the, the the idea is 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 meant that it has to remain white, probably Christian. It has to remain uh, as it was, and uh, so this is part of what is fueling the appeal of an authoritarian, anti-democratic regime that would uh, capitalize on those things and uh, not uh, allow my majority rule to occur or or would not want to expand voting rights because this would uh, lead to a further decline of the interests that people feel are under threat. So it's a, it's a big um, problem to try to deal with. Um, I like to say on this particular point that two things can be true at once. That is, you have to do, as Lenny was saying, uh, practice kindness and show respect and understanding for um, people who feel aggrieved and uh, who are feeling left out. But at the same time, I think it's very important for the authoritarian elements that are represented by MAGA Trumpism not to gain more power than they have. And uh, so I think, you know, to, to make sure that, that uh, democracy remains alive, you have to uh, use it to uh, support democratic institutions, not to um, destroy them or to detract from them, which is what authoritarian regimes often try to do. They make use of democratic institutions in order to subvert them, to get rid of them. Hitler did this in Nazi Germany. Um, Putin has elections in Russia, but these are intended to be uh, exercises that um, keep him in power. So this is something that has to be uh, watched and defended against, the attempt to try to use democratic institutions to destroy them. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. Our topic today is Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and the Endangered American Democracy. 
Our two esteemed guests are Dr. Leonard Grob, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Dr. John Roth, who is the Edward J. Sexton Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Claremont McKenna College in Claremont, California. And my guest co-host, Mike Clancy, is the current chair of the Monterey County Chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby and serves as the question review team on the question review team for the annual Liam Panetta Lecture Series. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM. Weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman. Weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. We're back. Would you like a friend to hear this interview? As you probably have heard by now, Be Bold America is available as a podcast and pushed out to 10 podcast platforms and also to YouTube. Inform others about our show and podcast because that's how the show grows. Now, Dr. Roth, uh, you just led into something that I wanted to talk about, and it's a bit of a rant. You mentioned that we don't want this this faction, this non-democratic authoritarian faction, not to gain more power than they have. Yet, they have just published uh, Project 2025. Have either of you heard of that? Fill me in a little. I have to. That's a new one. Yes, okay. Yes, I'm so glad. As well. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I'm prepared for this rant. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It is a thousand-page document titled... Mandate for Leadership, the Conservative Promise, Project 2025, Presidential Transition Project. And um, the danger is it's a scheme that poses that far-right groups that, that are established, such as the Heritage Foundation, have joined forces with Trump. Uh, hundreds of people are behind this, and, tw- and they've already spent $22 million to come up with this strategic plan to destroy democracy once and for all. This scheme is ready uh, for day one of a Trump presidency, but they also say whenever uh, the next Republican presidency uh, happens to dismantle the U.S. government and replace it with their own vision of government. And what is that vision, you might ask? Um, It's just the completion of their unitarian presidency concept that they've been working towards, I think, since George W. Bush's administration, I believe. And in my view, the name Unitarian Presidency is just a fancy name for an authoritarian dictator. Uh, And it includes pushing right-wing Christianity nationalism as the federal government's job. Their goal is to fire 50,000 civil servants and that there will be no more career civil servants, but only those picked so they follow the Unitarian president. Decisions would not be made on the science, the law, or policy, but only on a loyalty oath. And to do what the so-called president wants, and if they don't do what he says, then they're out. Uh, David Korn stated, quote, that the, the ultimate goal would be an independent, expertise-driven, civil service government workforce would be gone. So what this Republican presidential transition document, Project 2025, their plans for the future, it just reels, it just reels the mind. Um, I don't believe these people, with all the money behind them, will ever stop. Uh, so that's, that's now Project 2025, and I think we need to be 
uh, very aware of this $22 million effort. Your thoughts, having just heard about it for the first time? Yeah. Jill, I have heard about it. Oh, I just good. wasn't uh, focusing on the Project 2025 oh, label okay. that's uh, attached to it. But, yes, this has been uh, under discussion for some time, and I think you've described it absolutely correctly. And, and this is an example of what I was uh, speaking about a moment ago. That is, um, one of the things that makes democracy endangered is that the very institutions that um, are, are part of it can be taken over and used in order to uh, uh, subvert democracy. Elections are an example of this. I was, I was listening to um, um, someone the, just yesterday, I think it was, who said if, if uh, Trump wins the presidency again, we will not see another fair and free election in this country. And I think that that's not, uh, as Joe Biden likes to say, that's not hyperbole. That's probably a pretty accurate thumbnail sketch of, of what would be awaiting us. Um, and the, the uh, uh, reaming out of what uh, right-wing uh, people like to call the deep state, uh, the, the you know, civil serv- service bureaucracy that we have that often serves us very well, isn't perfect, but it serves us well, these things would, would be gone, I believe. And so this is the, this is the thing that we are, are looking at. Lenny and I, when we wrote our book, pitched the book looking at the 2024 federal election. We had seen that uh, democracy had had a kind of reprieve in the 2022 elections. The red wave that was forecasted didn't appear. But the reprieve was not uh, uh, anything that ensured the future. And 2024 won't be anything that ensures the future if uh, democracy prevails in that election either, because I think you're exactly right in saying that this Outlook, this philosophy that's embodied in the 2025 project is here to stay. A thumbnail way of saying that is that Trumpism will remain after Trump is gone, and it will remain a threat. Can I jump in on that for, absolutely, uh, Mike. for a second now? Um, I absolutely agree. Trumpism is here to stay even after Trump is gone. On the other hand, Trump is such a unique character, and I, I just don't see anyone coming along to replace him. I mean, uh, think about Nazism. You know, we still have neo-Nazis in the world, for sure. Uh, but there's no, no Adolf Hitler has arisen. Um, do you really think uh, there'll be someone coming along who can, who can sort of reprise what Trump has done after he's gone? Dr. Grob, did you want to well, uh, get yes. in here? Yeah, I'll, I'll weigh in on this. Um, I think that um, the way to nurture um, the the person who may come and uh, lead us in this uh, fashion to counter Trumpism after Trump, um, we need to educate differently. We need to engage in acts of resistance like the book that we have just written. John and I see this as uh, calling, sounding an alarm. We want to wake people up and, of course, increase waking ourselves up. But I think that there needs to be a counter-strategy 
2025. I have heard of many of the items under uh, the heading of uh, 2025. I think that uh, the resistance of everybody in wherever that person stands, if it's an attorney, an attorney has to think about helping um, immigrants for at, this, at this point. If it's a physician, um, it's a matter of helping the underserved, especially people of color. We have to have a massive educational effort, and this, I think, will eventually produce the kind of leadership that you've asked about. You know, Mike, I want to just yeah, sure. want to follow up just on one thing you said. Right, it's true. Uh, you know, uh, Hitler did not have a successor. There are many reasons for that, but but the one that comes to mind uh, most in, in 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 most striking fashion is that Hitler uh, had waged world war and uh, he was crushed. It, it took huge military uh, efforts to do that, and so the the succession was stopped because uh, Nazi Germany was uh, massively defeated uh, uh, militarily. If, if that had not happened, if Hitler had not been uh, such a megalomaniac, uh, he might have been able to sustain a racist, anti-Semitic, anti-democratic uh, regime for uh, for some time. So uh, I think this is a difference that uh, has to be looked at here when when you compare, you know, historical epochs and um, look for what you know maybe reminiscent uh, looking back, you also see that there are some big differences. So Trump already has uh, successors in mind. We, we saw that the other night when, uh, we, if you watch the uh, Republican uh, debate from Milwaukee, I mean, they're, all, all the people there raised their hands when they uh, were asked, uh, I think with the exception of Hutchinson, um, raised their hands when they said, uh, would they support Trump if he was a candidate? So, I mean, what that means, unless you're just saying it's political expediency, is that there are a whole batch of people who are prepared to um, get on board with the uh, Project 2025 agenda. And we, we don't want to resort to um, um, illegal means or, or any means necessary to uh, withstand that uh, onslaught, but uh, it's going to be really crucial to uh, get people registered to vote and to get people out to vote and mm-hmm. to um, find all sorts of other ways, as Lenny is suggesting, to resist. I think one of the things that uh, that uh, that we've stressed in the book is that Americans may be suffering from a failure of imagination. Mm. And the failure of imagination may be that we don't really have a full sense of what it would be like to live in a country where the democracy that we too often take for granted is gone. I think we would be in a situation that would severely compromise uh, the hopes and ideas and values that we Americans have when we are, are at our best. Well, I just have one comment, observation, before we go to another break. And I completely agree about being kind and compassionate. And 
I've come to the conclusion that the current um, Republican Party is really a, a party of, of psychopaths. <laughs> when mm -hmm. I wrote my first book, uh, America Abandoned, I looked at, I actually started it with uh, psychopaths because they they want to find their way into power and they're up in the higher financial areas, the financial industry, and they also find their way into politics because they want power. And I, I just I just feel that We've distilled the, or they have distilled themselves down to a psychopathic criminal network because they don't have any compassion, empathy, or humility anymore. Matter of fact, a lot of them seem to enjoy uh, the cruelty. So I'm, I'm concerned that we have one party that is still fighting for democracy and basically uh, believes in the democratic principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that America defends other democracies, and that political parties put the nation first and the individual politicians second. Uh, but that is not what this party is, and many, many people have left it, but those that remain are so corrupt and psychopathic that I'm, I'm very worried about that. And I can get your thoughts after, but I need to take this break. You're listening to sure. Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online for the KSQD website. Our topic is warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and endangered American democracy. My guest co-host, Mike Clancy, and our two Holocaust scholars, Dr. Leonard Grob and Dr. John Roth, will be right back after Jim Hightower's commentary titled, How the Right Wing is Trying to Turn Public Education into a Corporate Obedience Schools. Back to school. Bright-eyed youngsters are now back in our public classrooms, filled with questions about the world around them. Questions like, what happened to our school library, and where did our librarians go? Sadly, these wholly beneficial, caring educators are being dumped in school trash bins by loopy right-wing ideologues who are out to impose their bigotry and ignorance on America. They've been on a rampage of banning books and demonizing teachers, but now the extremists are saying, that's not stupid enough. Let's also launch a witch hunt against librarians. This authoritarian assault, funded by a clique of far-right billionaires and coordinated by their front groups, has been popping off across the country. But leave it to Texas Governor Greg Abbott to push it from extreme to totalitarianism. He has unilaterally seized control of Houston's school district, the largest, most diverse in Texas, installing his own whip-cracking dictatorial overseer. Mike Miles, a former Army Ranger and CEO of a corporate school chain, promptly decreed that to improve reading scores in his district, he would first eliminate librarians from 28 schools in black and Latino neighborhoods and, second, turn their libraries into centers where students who misbehave will be disciplined. Also, Abbott's education czar demands that all teachers there must reapply for their jobs, agree to follow a centrally scripted curriculum, and be monitored by classroom cameras. Of course, elimination of independent educational resources and regimentation of instruction will reduce schools to state institutions for obedience training. This is Jim Hightower saying, and that's the point. 
the GOP's push to remake education is a billionaire's wet dream of a compliant, subservient workforce. Don't ask questions, just keep pulling that plow. Howdy ho, folks, and thanks for tuning in to my Hightower Radio Commentaries. And guess what? There's even more Hightower waiting for you online. Subscribers to my Substack newsletter, Jim Hightower's Lowdown, get commentaries, articles, interviews with progressive sparklies, live events, historical nuggets, and more. Go to jimhightower.substack.com to sign up, and you'll get more. That's jimhightower.substack.com. If you are just joining us, our topic today is warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and endangered American democracy. So um, do either of you professors have any comments on my psychopath rant of the Republican yes, Party? I, I, I'd like to take a stab Yay. at it, uh, Jill. Thank you. I certainly agree. I, um, John and I write several times in, in our book that democracy is only as good as the people who represent it and the people who execute it. So the the quality of the people governing us, people who, who allegedly represent us, uh, is certainly uh, to be understood. I'm not sure, though, that we can call the entire Republican Party, you know, we want to be careful that the brush is not too broad here. I think there are uh, very disturbed people at the extremes, um, and that extremism has begun to spread, as we saw in the uh, primary debate in Milwaukee. But the large majority of Republicans are guilty, but they're guilty more of being bystanders. Mm. And especially as Holocaust scholars, we've, we've seen... What happened, uh, you know, Hitler had written Mein Kampf in the 1920s. Certainly, as uh, measures after Hitler assumed power in 1933, there was enough evidence in the laws that, uh, that, that came on the heels of his assuming power. Um, but uh, people did not respond. And I think that the Republicans, by their silence, by their... I'm talking about now the, those who used to be called mainstream. Um, they would still like to be called that name, but they cannot because they are standing by and allowing the Trump, the Trump and his uh, more immediate cronies uh, to take. Jill, I think there, I think there are elements um, that we can see around us that. Uh, suggest that, that something is, is badly uh, off-kilter. I, I don't know if I'd go into, you know, uh, uh, psychoanalytic terms to get at it. There are some, some scholars who, who do move in that direction. But I think that uh, kind of echoing on, on some of the things that Lenny has said, we do have a society that is um, deeply embedded in conspiracy theories and that is uh, willfully in denial about about evidence and facts, um, untruths of one kind or another are, are just circulated in a way that uh, has taken root that that leads people to be unmoved by by evidence to the contrary. 
and that's uh, that's the, that's the serious conundrum that uh, that has to be reckoned with. I think that there are uh, signs with all the indictments that uh, uh, Donald Trump is facing that uh, some Republicans uh, and certainly independent voters are having second thoughts and. If Trump does succeed in, in getting the Republican nomination, I think it remains to be seen how strong he will be. He, the, the election in 2024 is going to be close, and it will hinge on what goes on in a, in a relatively small number of states because of our badly outdated electoral college system. Um, but uh, I think the, the, the struggle is on. And that um, if people of goodwill and people who um, care about democracy uh, step up and take the actions that they can take and are faithful and true to what the United States stands for at its best, I think this this, uh, siege against democracy, this fever against it, can be broken. Thank you for that positivity. I really needed it, Mike. <laughs> well, first of all, let me say I really do agree with your comments about the Electoral College in the next election. It's going to be close. And there's about four four swing states that are in play. And, um, you know, it'll come down to certainly less than 100,000 votes among those four swing states. It's a very small fraction of the total population. And that's certainly not a recipe for a healthy democracy. So I absolutely agree with that. But let me let me jump in now and talk a little bit about... Um, about the political divide in our country, the polarization that grips our country. You know, it's almost like there are two separate realities. There's the reality of the people, the 50% of the country that supports Trump and the reality of the 50% of the people who don't support Trump. And to a great extent, that has to do with polarization in the media. You know, if you lean, if you lean right of center, you're never watching CNN. If you lean left of center, you're never watching Fox News. And, you know, I've heard people say, CNN and Fox News, they can't even decide on what natural disaster to cover. You know, it's two separate realities. And, you know, to a great extent, what creates that? Well, you can argue that we have a polarized media because we have a polarized society, and so therefore there's a market for a polarized media. But the polarized media drives greater polarization in our society, which in turn drives more of a market for polarized media. So what does that mean? That means we're, we're trapped in a positive feedback loop, which is pushing our country apart. How do we break that feedback loop? And does the media have a role to play there? I think the media certainly has, has a role to play. Um, I, I see the only way to break this uh, um, chain, which you note, um, this feedback chain, is, I think, to really massively educate our children, parent in such a way, parent for democracy, teach them for democracy, educate with this in mind. And I think we have to really undertake a sweeping um, movement to make sure that the ordinary Americans I still believe in. And we have to try to awaken them through educational practice. At the same time, as we work to vote, obviously 
not everything is going to uh, rest with an educational project that's going to take years, perhaps decades. Right now, we need to um, make sure that people uh, get into groups that uh, call potential voters, that they write postcards. We have to not just say, um, uh, please vote, but to actively, actively um, get voters on, on the roll at the same time as we are educating and parenting um, for democracy. And the other thing that concerns me in, in this realm is, is, of course, social media. Social media, you know, yeah. to a great extent, particularly for young folks, a lot of people are getting their news from social media, and social media is designed to quite happily serve you up more material that will drive your biases. Continue if you, if you start mm-hmm. feeding, you know, looking at right wing kind of stuff, you're going to get more right wing kind of stuff, left wing kind of stuff, more left wing kind of stuff is going to come to your social media feed. So well, their algorithms are devi- <coughs> excuse me are designed that way. They're designed that way, and that's I, I I've seen it. I've seen it personal experience driving, you know, people apart, driving this political divide. How do we deal with that? Well, the media itself has to um, play a role that is resistant. Um, I think this program that we're on today um, is a good example of, of, uh, you know, a step in that direction. I love the title, Be Bold America, as a... um, a theme that uh, needs to be uh, articulated and, and expressed. Mike, I don't think the polarization is is going to go away, as, as you suggested. Right. Um, I think the first thing that's on my mind is uh, to make sure that the political power remains in the hands of people who are pro-democracy. Uh, who want to expand the vote, uh, who want to uh, stand for policies that uh, create an economy in the United States that that does not aggrieve or leave people aggrieved uh, as much as they may have been, and to do everything we can to try to um, create an environment in which the polarization, which isn't going to go away, will at least be uh, diminished in its, uh, in its power. Well, <clears throat> one thing that Joe Walsh said, who was a former Republican from Illinois, he said that the, the current Republicans have just been radicalized against the rule of law and that are actively working against it. And isn't that what criminals do? <laughs> My dad, who also is a philosophy professor uh, of years ago, uh, of years ago, he's been retired many years now. But uh, he said long ago, before Trump and this current Republican Party, he once told me, "The crooks have won." <laughs> and now I see them all radicalized, working against it, and and seeming to think that if a, if an election is only fair if they win, and it's not fair if they don't. My co-host Mike Clancy and I are speaking with two bold guests, Dr. Leonard Grob, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Fairleigh 
Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Dr. John Roth is the Edward J. Sexton Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Claremont McKenna College in Claremont, California. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Join KSQD the second Sunday each month for Intersections, hosted by Seth Shapiro. Intersections takes you to the crossroads of ideas, mapping the contours of belief and knowledge through the stories and lives of influential voices. Meet notable people in diverse fields who are asking important questions. Their experiences and perspectives challenge us to pursue lives of meaning and purpose. Tune in to Intersections Sunday evening at 6 at this evening here on K-Squid 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7, and ksqd.org. Many voices, one station. We're back. And before, um, professors, before we get into um, the section where I ask what you think we should keep doing, stop doing, and start doing, I did have a listener, uh, once she saw the advertisement of the show, and it really is a question that doesn't bear on our discussion today, but I want to be fair in at least raising it and and um, and maybe getting an initial response. And it's a big one, though. Um, they hoped that one of you uh, would explain the oppression of uh, the Palestinians by the far-right government of Israel. <laughs> you know, and so uh, any... You know that the their residents, Palestinian Arabs, have no voting rights, and she goes on. This this could be an entire show of its own, but I did want to get some response for a listener. Yeah, Any thoughts, yeah. or should we do a different show? You know, I, I do some work. <laughs> I, I do some work in this area. Good. Uh, okay. Uh, Thank you. Palestine. I will say, you know, it, it's very difficult, obviously, in a minute or two. Yes, I know. To, not being to, fair. to give the mm-hmm. uh, you know resolution of the conflict um, uh, ideas in, in in several sentences, I will say this: I think that um, the question that was given to you is not all that different from what we're talking about today. Oh, I think we are seeing we are seeing um, what evil can do. We are seeing what will happen if uh, we allow the anti-democratic forces to prevail. We're seeing it uh, writ bold, writ large, in the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. But it's not totally different um, from what is going on today. I will say this. um, I think both Israelis and Palestinians are both traumatized peoples. The Israelis are, the Jewish Israelis are traumatized by uh, 1900 years of anti-Semitism culminating in the Holocaust and the murder of one out of three Jews in the world. Palestinians are traumatized by what they call their Nakba, their disaster, uh, when uh, 750,000 were largely forcibly exiled in 1948-49. I think that there has to be a great deal of people-to-people work to restore uh, some trust. And at the same time as uh, governments try to find common uh, 
seeking proposals. And um, the Israeli who hold the power um, are having a very difficult time uh, doing that. And um, I think the Palestinians have to take more of a lead. In, uh, and it's very hard for an oppressed people to do just that. So we're we're in a we're in a bond we're in a uh, bind, and uh, it's going to take quite some time for this to be resolved. But I do believe that we cannot. I I know we cannot despair about it, and um, just as we cannot despair about what is happening in our own country, which I don't want to say is exactly the same as uh, uh, what's happening to Palestinians, but. Um, oppression is oppression, and uh, we could see uh, some shades of this if we're not careful about guarding our own democracy. Dr. Grob, thank you very much for that response. You Mike? Know, could I, could oh, I, yeah, could Dr. I add just a, just a word on this, too? Okay. I, in general, my, my view is that when democracy is under threat and when it is weak, um, bad things tend to happen. And uh, that's why I want to defend democracy. And I think there would be Israelis today who feel that their democracy is under threat, that it is in danger. Yes. They are dealing with a, a, a threat of authoritarianism. Um, and uh, we see this in the, in the attempt of uh, Netanyahu and his, his uh, extreme followers to undermine the authority of the uh, highest court in in Israel, which is a kind of check and balance in that in that society. So um, these things are are interconnected. And um, I wanted to 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 add a point uh, back on on some of the things we were saying earlier. We, we we've had kind of a a, a dark picture of how how power is lining up in the United States at the present time, and as a, as a key remedy against that, I think the 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 way to to battle against that is is not to become like the opposition, but rather to defend the things that we value when we're at our best. That is, we have to find ways to resist authoritarianism by defending democracy, by trying to expand it, by trying to amplify it. Um, and if we don't do that, then we truly won't have democracy. And we're, it, democracy is endangered in the United States, but the, um, you know, the, the final chapter on that uh, story is still to be written, and it won't be completed in my lifetime because, as Lenny likes to say, democracy is more a verb than oh. a noun. It's a process. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a series of activities that uh, um, have, to, have to be pursued and, and advanced and guarded as, as we go forward. Oh, Dr. Grob, I was just going to make that point that I want to say turn the word democracy into a verb. You know, everyone has to act. It's not a noun anymore. It's a verb. Mike, do you have a quick question before we go into Keep, Stop, Start? I think it's hopefully pretty quick. If we do, God forbid, lose our democracy, will we ever get it back or will it be gone forever? Oh, that's the quick question? (laughs) And I'll get to the hard question later. I don't think that, uh, I, I think history has shown that um, there's, no, there, there's no finality um, 
that's involved here. I think if if you look at um, what has happened in in modern in post war Germany, and you see how the Germans have responded by and large to treasure their their democracy uh, after the horrors of Nazism. I, I don't think that uh, a final word is ever said. Um, it's, it will be very hard to pick oneself up, but that's part of what it means to to be human and to resist and to resist perpetually. Thank you for that. So, you know, what ideas do you have for our, for us to keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to heed your warning? What are the most important action steps that Americans to take now? Certainly, I, love this. I think, is, is number one, two, and three. Uh, voting is something that people have to keep doing, but also I would say that fits into the start doing because the, the effort to get out the vote has to be enhanced, and um, it has to be multiplied many times over. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think there need to be um, phone banks. I need to, there need to be groups who get together and write postcards. I think we need people to keep voting, but we also need them to start doing voting and supporting the vote in in uh, different ways. And I have one minute so I left. Think it fits into both categories. Okay. I'll, I'll give you, Mike, one minute. Uh, keep doing, stop doing, start doing, Jill. Keep doing. Speak up and speak out. Support media and institutions that do that to defend democracy. Things to stop doing, stop taking good things for granted, especially ah, democracy. Yes. Don't be trapped by failures of imagination, that it doesn't make any difference whether, you know, uh, Trumpist republicanism uh, prevails in, in 2024 or not. It does make a difference. So stop taking good things for granted and don't be trapped by failures of imagination. And things to start doing. Uh, all of us can do something to support democracy. So support a democracy-friendly institution that you perhaps haven't done before, maybe a public broadcasting station, a newspaper or a magazine, a public library. Seemingly small deeds make a difference and can matter a lot. Dr. Grob. Dr. Roth, thank you for being our bold and impressive interview guest today. I really wish we had more time. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I would so much like to talk to you both again. Uh, you've written an intense and brilliant book. Uh, if I'm right, I think uh, listeners can buy it at their favorite bookstore. Am I right? Uh, That's on, absolutely right. You can order it um, online and go to their favorite bookstore. Yes. And uh, thank you for joining Mike and me on Be Bold America. Thank you so much. It's an honor. And thank you for the Bill questions and Mike, that you asked. Thank you as well. And I'd like to add to that, congratula congratulations on the book. It really is excellent. It is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. When speaking for Mike and myself, it has been an honor for us to connect with two eminent Holocaust scholars in the world. Again, thank you so much for your time. I know it's very valuable. What's next on Be Bold America? Please join us on Sunday, September 24th.
when we will be hearing frontline reports from the race to save the earth. The news is undeniably grim. Raging wildfires, record-breaking temperatures, monster storms, and any number of other climate-related disasters warn us regularly that we are barreling toward environmental ruin. John J. Berger, Ph.D., doesn't mince words about how dire our predicament is. He says, quote, We don't need to rely just on climate scientists anymore to warn us that we are in a code red emergency. Yet, Dr. Berger also insists that rescue is possible. In his new book, Solving the Climate Crisis, Frontline Reports from the Race to Save the Earth, he introduces us to the bold, practical, proven solutions that are ready to scale right now. And he profiles the scientists, ranchers, business leaders, community organizers, activists, engineers, farmers, and, yes, politicians who are implementing them. Please join us for Frontline Reports from the Race to Save the Earth by joining Be Bold America Sunday, September 24 at 5 p.m. As a reminder... Be Bold America is available as a podcast for free on Apple, Google, and Spotify, as well as YouTube. I want to give a special thank you to Be Bold America's program engineer, Eliza James, and to our station's program director, Howard Feldstein. And a very special thank you to my guest co-host, Mike Clancy. You'll be back again to co-host next show on September 24th. Isn't that right, Mike? Absolutely, Jill. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. You are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz, Many Voices, One Station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Intersections with Seth Shapiro. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start. Start.